This is Fair Share, a podcast conversation with Philip Rosedale about digital currency and the future of money. My name is Dan Patterson, and in this episode, Philip explores the need for a new digital currency, and he explains how groups ensure fairness and promote the economic well-being of their members. Before we get into a longer conversation, I kind of want to summarize our previous discussion uh, about fair share, and I think we should redefine it. What is fair share, and why is it necessary in today's economic context? So, right. So, what is fair share? It's a way of making and distributing and circulating money that is different than you know what we have with either like you know traditional banks and government issued currencies uh, or uh, what we've tried so far with crypto it's a different mechanism that distributes money and then recirculates money in a particular way and the goal of that is to manage this problem that we talked about last time which is that in a free market if there's nothing else going on inequality gets amplified in such a way that you know you end up with a small number of people having all the money and so the idea with fair share and, and we all know that in our hearts and the idea with fair share is to um, use a digital currency in such a way that it recirculates the currency and keeps that inequality from becoming uh, unfair so um, is it fair no pun intended or maybe pun intended to think of this as a, a UBI it is or a well, practical solution to a UBI. A component of it is a UBI, but backing up, you know, it it the the point there is that money to remain fair has to be redistributed to everybody. And of course, this is that big weird idea that is just um, a mathematical fact, like the laws of physics. But it's one that we often forget is there. That that you know, unfairness in human systems can arise from things like people being bad to each other or you know stealing or something like that but it actually unfortunately arises weirdly enough just in us trying to get by and moving the money around between each other and if you don't recirculate the money kind of at the end of every day if you will you have to uh, you, you're going to get an increasingly unfair distribution of, of money amongst people. And so the UBI component is a part of what the mechanism of fair share needs. Essentially, anytime you redistribute money, the way that you have to redistribute it is equally to everybody. And, you know, in societies, in, in the real world, we do sometimes have good mechanisms that basically do that. Like, uh, during COVID, for example, in the United States and in other places as well, there was a lot of redistribution of money equally to everybody to kind of deal with the fact that we were facing a great uh, problem that was affecting everybody equally as well, right? An illness. And so we did the right thing, which is to say, okay, we've got to redistribute money equally to everybody so they can help themselves get over this illness. The thing with fair share is that it includes both a way of distributing money to everybody when you need to, when everybody wants to, 
And then it also includes built into it a way of funding that distribution, which is a recirculation rather than printing more money. So fair share, uh, not only does it distribute money equally to everybody as a basic income, uh, it also uh, uh, charges a fee on transactions, which ends up funding that distribution. And, and as we've shown in our modeling and you know what we're doing with fair share and as it's been shown in other uh, real world systems, it's actually pretty easy to fund a basic income, uh, especially if you have access to a digital currency that you can change the software code on. So that raises the big question that you touched on in a previous episode, but still lurks and demands an answer. Uh, it's a first word in fair share. Why does currency need to be fair? Great question. So currency needs to be fair because we are social animals. Now, it's interesting to connect those two things, so let me do it. We, for a long time as humans, have been dependent on working together in small groups. The advantages that have made us the rulers of the world uh, today come not from having you know, sharper teeth or longer claws or even in isolation, bigger brains, but it comes from the combination of both having bigger brains and then using those brains to work together in small groups. So humans have always worked together in small groups. It's easy sometimes for us to forget this because of course, you know, we do such spectacularly individual things like winning the Olympics or whatever, but nevertheless, our power comes from existing together in small groups. Now, if you think about it, right, what goes along with a willingness to share and help other people, what has to go along with it is a demand for fairness in that help. Because otherwise, right, the evolutionary process would have given, would have made us all, um, uh, would have made us all kind of share a little bit and then take more from other people and hopefully not have them notice it, right? And so that wouldn't work, right? Because you'd end up with the most, you know, the grifty person getting, getting everything. So evolution uh, and nature took us down a road where we are both intensely collaborative and also intensely demand fairness. I think for those who haven't seen it, there is this wonderful TED talk and it, you know, the videos you know, from before the TED talk, but there's this wonderful video and an experiment in which capuchin monkeys are offered uh, are, are offered kind of pay for doing a little job right next to each other. And you have these two monkeys and the researcher is rewarding the monkeys with cucumbers, which monkeys like just fine for like doing a task where you give the researcher a rock. And then the researcher in view of the other monkey gives a grape to one of the monkeys, which apparently is like, you know, heroin for monkeys, or it's as delightful as it is for monkeys. It is for us, right? A sugary treat. And then the researcher goes back to the other uh, monkey, and in view of both of them, gives that monkey a cucumber and not a grape, right? <laughs> and that monkey starts shaking on the cage and literally reaches out and throws the cucumber right at the researcher's face uh, to show its displeasure with the situation now not being fair. And so that's a great, I, I always point to that video because it's such a wonderful demonstration of, of, of fairness. So we, even in a world where we've all become wealthier, which uh, as regards some, some of our necessities, like say smartphones, right? We've gone from a world where, uh, you know, 
say 40 years ago, uh, being poor meant that in many cases you might not have access to running water. And now in many cases, in many parts of the world, everybody has actually a smartphone, which is you know pretty amazing as a, as a thing. But it doesn't matter if we all have smartphones or even if we all had Ferraris, if the distribution of those things is not fair, it breaks down the fabric of society because we're evolved to demand fairness. And so that is why an economic system, no matter what its behavior is, has to be fair to be widely accepted because we're evolved to demand fairness in exchange for collaboration. Um, you touched on this a moment ago and alluded to uh, the social nature of human beings and uh, that being tied to fair share uh, and to currencies. Fair share includes groups, which are kind of essential to its operation, but these are different from crypto groups like DAOs. Uh, what are fair share groups? Why are they necessary? How are they established? How do they regulate themselves? What is this function? Right. What is the necessity of groups? And, right. I, and, I, and I do believe, by the way, that, and I'll come back to that, but the first answer to, to what you said is, uh, why do we need groups? The reason that we need groups is because they're the only safe way to distribute resources, money, equally between everybody. And, and let me defend that because it's just a really interesting yeah, and important thing. Yeah, that, there's a lot in that to unpack. As I said before, if you want an economy that redistribute, if you, if you, to, to maintain a fair economy, you have to have some mechanism where, uh, just like water in the water cycle, money goes kind of at the end of the day, it, it flows a little bit from uh, the people who have the most of it to everybody equally. Now, if you want to give out anything to everybody equally, you have to have a system that keeps people from getting two shares or three shares for themselves, right? So if you can make a bunch of fake copies of yourself and collect your basic income, we're going to have a social problem again. That's not fair. And so any system in which you uniformly distribute resources to everybody requires that you then have some idea of identity, right? And perhaps we've all heard lately about this thing called WorldCoin, uh, which is an example of a way of building that form of unique identity. In the example of WorldCoin, it's an orb that scans everybody's eyeballs like right out of a Black Mirror episode and uh, puts that all in a database so that somebody somewhere looking at that database can evaluate that each human only got one block of WorldCoins. And that you are a human and not a bot. Right? Good point, too. That's right. That's right. And, and, you know, that is a great uh, use case, by the way, for biometrics, as, the, as we broadly call, you know, things like looking at retinas or fingerprints or uh, listening to your brainwaves or whatever. All the different ways that we can establish that somebody is themselves. Uh, it, you know, you, you can use any of those mechanisms. But the important thing to say about identity as it relates to an economic system is that if you want to give out things proportionally to everybody fairly, you also need to build an identity system that can't be abused. We touched on centralization, I think, in our first talk. You need to build a system where you don't create other danger to people 
of harm from establishing who, who each unique person is. And so obviously if you have a global system and you're an authoritarian regime and you know uh, the, the retina scans of each of your subjects and you also therefore know all the things that they buy and sell each other, you know, it doesn't take a science fiction author to jump immediately to the idea that that's gonna be a pretty dystopian outcome. And so we can't, we need to have a fair currency. We need to distribute it periodically, as, as we'll talk more about, not just at the beginning, we need to periodically distribute it equally to everybody. And we need a way of doing that that doesn't create the danger of, say, a state actor harming people. That's the reason for groups. And, and by the way, it's not just a reason for groups and fair share. It's actually a much deeper idea, which is humans naturally form and defend and uh, establish their identities through membership in different groups. So, for example, I am an alumni of the University of California in San Diego, where I studied physics. So I, right there, I just named two groups. I'm an alumni of UCSD. I'm also, I also have a group of friends with whom I studied physics at UC San Diego. Both of those are groups that I'm distinctly a member of. You know, those, all those people that I studied with could, will immediately validate that I was part of that group. And of course, the university can validate that I'm a graduate from the university. Those are examples of groups. Humans use groups to establish identity in the safest and most effective way. If you belong to a group of people, say in the class, the teacher can, you know, call the role at the beginning of the day. She's able to establish that everybody's there uh, to study. And, and you know that, you know, everybody is kind of equally present. Fair share uses groups in the same way, which is, and, and, and there are more systems that have proposed this. I'm not herein describing something that I thought of. This is a well understood idea that if you don't want to do retina scans or look at DNA or something like that, what you can do instead is allow groups to validate their members. And if you have the right tensions in the design, which fair share does, then a group can establish and manage its membership, even including, say, kicking people out and letting people in and deciding who gets to stay, you know, like a stay on the island, if you will. The mechanism of fair share is to use groups, not a global identity system, but instead small groups as a means of establishing that everybody gets a fair distribution of the currency. And so that is the way that not just we've designed it with fair share, but that any safe system that is going to create fair economic systems worldwide is going to use, I, I, I strongly believe, is going to use the same mechanism of groups. Um, I, I have a, a lot of questions, uh, but I, I think let's start with how, the, the, how do you ensure fairness? How do you make sure that you are promoting the economic well-being and maybe democratic well-being of mm -hmm. group members uh, because you know democracies are a, a cohort a group as well yeah. uh, how do you make sure that the individuals are protected and that the group itself is protected well small groups if you think about them in history uh, you know participants in a small trade group or something like that you know all of all of the farmers uh, you know within 20 miles of each other, right, exchanging information. 
these types of groups naturally form through basically a, a kind of a democratic process, right? Everybody has a sense of how everybody else is feeling about each other. And if you think about it, that's kind of a, a natural sort of a democracy. So uh, with Fair Share, what we do is build a simple voting mechanism that enables people to regulate the membership of a group. So you can uh, you apply to join, somebody sponsors you. In other words, some first person says, hey, I, I think this guy Dan is, is Dan, is the guy that he says he is. Um, and then everybody else in the group secretly can vote on whether they'd like to let you join the group. Secretly is, of course, important to democratic process. Um, I've said this a lot more broadly than fair share. It is so unfortunate that we've been building digital technology in the last 10 years, mostly, to uh, and, and here I'm talking about crypto and DAOs, we've been building technology in a way that uh, essentially helps us with capitalism, but not with democracy. And what I mean by that is crypto systems like DAOs, for example, allow people to vote in the weight of the, a number of shares that they own. And they have to do it transparently. So you can see what everybody else is voting. And the richest person wins the vote. They get, they get to dominate the vote. This is a kind of governance that is best seen in corporate boards, uh, share, shareholder votes in corporations. And it's horribly inequitable. Uh, it, it rewards the person who holds the most shares with the largest voting pool, which they then use because the voting is transparent, to manipulate others to get behind their agenda or even buy them off, and, to, and, and they can do that because since the voting's not secret, they can validate that they got the votes they purchased. And this kind of um, corporate voting is something that, in my opinion, none of us need. We've had plenty enough of it in the real world. <laughs> we need to get away from it. Um, what Fair Share does is what is, in my opinion, what we should have been doing all along with crypto and blockchain, which is allow a group to secretly vote on who they want to let in and, if necessary, who they want to kick out of the group. And so secret voting as a way of maintaining uh, membership in a small, relatively tightly bound group is fundamental to the human condition. And it's what fair share uh, turns into code so that it can be done very, very quickly and easily amongst a very large number of people. So it sounds like what you just described was kind of a metaphor for capitalism in DAOs, but for those listening or watching who don't follow uh, the, the crypto blockchain world, Philip just described how a DAO works. The member with the most capital gets the most votes and can control the outcome of the group, the, the DAO. And what you're describing with fair share is a process that uses anonymity like we have anonymous voting here in the united states to uh, create a decision-making process my question for you though is how does that prevent or how does the fair share system prevent uh, uh, collaboration between bad actors or even good actors that but powerful right. entities how does that prevent people from collaborating and simply voting in secret so well first of all let me actually touch on another dynamic of fair share that i think is the most important one where what you just said uh kind of is going to come into action fair share works by having every group have its own currency and this is very different than say crypto or government 
issued currency. So imagine a world where every town, imagine a world where every village, every city had its own currency. But those currencies, those, those different village currencies, if you will, can be instantly exchanged for each other using, of course, technology, which is part of what share, fair share does. So somebody that's in the next town over uh, can have that town's shares, and if they travel to you know, a nearby town, they can still walk into the bar and buy a beer with fair share. What happens is that it in, the, the fair share technology instantly finds the best price at which they can exchange their shares for the next town's shares. Now, why does this matter relative to um, people colluding? Because the most common bad actor mechanism in a system where you can, say, apply for a basic income by you know, establishing your identity, the collusive behavior that's most dangerous right, would be a clever computer programmer uh, builds thousands and thousands of fake fair share accounts, which belong to a, a town, you know, an, an artificial uh, destination, which then has its own currency, or it's a group with its own currency. Now, but what you can imagine is, just like in the real world, if a country prints a bunch of fake money, which is what, you know, this imaginary uh, fair share group comprised of a lot of robots would, would be. Uh, if a group prints a whole bunch of its own uh, overly easy to get, if you will, currency, and then tries to go to the next town over and buy stuff with it, which of course would be what you'd want to do, you know, to like sort of steal from the next group, it won't work because the exchange rate that happens, and again, we've all seen this in the real world when, when countries, uh, say, print too much money, the exchange rate of that that big pool of fake money will be very, very close to zero almost immediately as soon as it's, as soon as you know, a group would start trying to, a fake group would start trying to use it to buy things from the other group. I'm imagining I'm, I'm probably going deeper into the mechanism of it than we, we've, we've been yet. But uh, the, the question that you're asking about, you know, where, where can collusion still become a problem would play out most in that example. Now, in a group of people that are actively working together to support themselves. You know, imagine a real small town that is using fair share in the town as its currency. In that case, the dynamics of uh, voting will adequately, uh, voting in the traditional secret voting mechanism, will allow, uh, as has been shown historically through the stability of democracy, uh, will allow people to manage their membership with the right trade-off between uh, transparency and anonymity. You know, that, that you, you, for example, will see in fair share who sponsored someone. So if that person that was allowed in later becomes a bad actor, that sponsorship of a person, the, the person that suggested, you know, that they let this person in, uh, is, is known uh, to the rest of the group. The voting on whether that person should be there or not is not visible to everybody, but again, uh, like we talked about last time, the ability to anonymously say to the rest of the group, I don't think this system is fair anymore. The anonymous ability to make that vote is the key 
principle, you know, that enables us to have, you know, stable democracies. People can say whatever they want on television, you know, but when they go to that voting or say whatever they want in a family conversation, but when they go into that, uh, when they go to vote for the candidate, that vote's anonymous, even to those family members. And you could vote in a way that's different than what you may have been saying, you know, in your conversation. And I believe that that behavior is key to human groups of all kinds and is what is best captured um, in the successful democracies that we see today. What is, what is the scale that you're describing? We can have a group of two people or three people, and we can have a group as large as a country. What is the ideal fair share group? Well, the way fair share works is that one person starts their own group, uh, you know, just, just like a person starts, say, a, a Discord server like a for Discord, the gamers yeah. yeah, out there, you know? And, th and then they let the second person in, and then the, the two of them have to agree on the third person. <laughs> and two out of three have to agree on the fourth person. You know, it's, it's that kind of a, uh, you know, growing one person at a time thing. The upper bound of how big those groups will be, we don't know. That's what's exciting. So here's what I think. The right size of an economic group is the group that, can, that has the most coherence around what its own economic policy should be. And let me give you an example of where we see this in the real world, the EU. So the EU is, I wish I knew off the top of my head how many countries it is. It's a bunch of countries, right, that all in 1999 agreed to use a single currency. Now, there are benefits to that that are transaction costs. You know, if you have euros and you, you, know, you ride the train from you know, Italy to France, you can spend the money in France. That's fantastic. But there are downsides to that, and we've all seen it in the recent uh, political debates around whether the EU is the right currency for all these different countries. And of course the answer is probably not exactly, right? Because the monetary policy, say, say as people are getting older, you might need to reduce the rate at which you're printing more money because you don't have as much growth in productivity because everybody's getting older. Under those conditions, you want to have a group that is able to kind of match how much money it's printing and deleting and how it's giving it out to everybody uh, to its own unique conditions. And so in that regard, you know, Greece and Norway are two very, very different systems with respect to the monetary policy that would best suit each of them. So what we believe with fair share is that if you, if you create a liquid mechanism where almost like countries, like as we think, we think currency today mostly as country currencies. What fair share does is it makes the country a group and it allows that group to be much smaller than a normal country because again, it's taking advantage of technology to make all the, you know, going somewhere and buying something in a different currency instant and trivial. And so by, by reducing the complexity of that to nearly zero, we're going to get to see what are the right size groups for human beings. We know that in many cases, something like the euro is probably too big. You know, that's 170 million people or whatever that number is. Uh, something like three people in their dorm room is almost certainly too small. They don't comprise a self-sustaining uh, community that would, you know, where it would make sense to have your own currency. So I, my gut is that the answer is somewhere at the level of uh, a town, a few thousand people. But you can make arguments that are very reasonable for different numbers. Like you could talk about the Dunbar number, which is this classic number from psychology, 150, which is the number of people that we can really uh, remember the details of our relationships with. So it could be that groups look closer to the Dunbar number. 
it could be that groups look closer to the city number. I think, by the way, trust, how much people trust each other is a big component in that. And of course, we've very unfortunately reduced human trust with technology in the last decade. This is a horrific thing that's happened. Uh, it's completely unnecessary. Uh, humans seek to build trust. It's, it's been an active effort to damage that in the, in the, you know, in the, in the technology community. But uh, trust, I think, between people, how much trust exists between you know, people that vaguely know each other will determine how big these groups are. And, and I, for one, am like fascinated to find out. Like fair share, fair share just presents a bottom-up way to find out what the right group size is. And we will, you know, as it gets out there and people start using it. So last question, um, if, at least for now, um, how do these groups regulate problems, uh, economic problems? So in the mm -hmm. United States, we have, for example, the Fed that can right. raise or lower interest rates, right? What do you do in a fair share group if the economy gets out of control? So that is a great question. You're exactly right. So, so in a government, like say the United States, we appoint or elect people who can then control some knobs that regulate the economy based on what everybody's saying about it and what we collectively think we need to do. Of course, we're seeing that right now where the Fed is changing interest rates to try to regulate inflation. And everybody's got an opinion about whether that works or not. So here's how it works in fair share. It's a collective mechanism that is much more direct and easy to understand. So, so here's how it works. Within a group that has its own currency in fair share, everybody gets to vote periodically and directly on two different numbers, two knobs, if you will. And these two knobs control the, the temperature or, you know, they control the properties of that local community's currency. And here are the knobs. The first one is how much new money do we print every day and give to everybody? That's the basic income. So everybody gets to vote. I want, I think we should all be getting, and by the way, this is all of us, not me. <laughs> You're voting for everybody. I think everybody should be getting $30 a day, not 40 Okay, so there's a mechanism in fair share where you can, you can have a debate, you know, out of band. You can do that, you know, standing in a room, or you can do it on Discord, which is how we've been prototyping this so far. But you can argue, you know, we should change the daily income from thirty bucks a day to forty bucks a day. The second knob is deleting the, the knob that deletes money from the system, and that knob is this trans. Best thing to call it is like a transfer fee or a transfer tax. So. Every time you pay somebody in fair share, there's something that feels just like a sales tax. There's a few percent that is uh, taken out or, or added on to what you need to pay as a tax, just like the way we pay sales tax when we walk into a grocery store today. Um, that tax is what is essentially deleting money from the economy. And again, everybody can vote directly and, and actually whenever they like. Uh, they can start a voting process on what that tax should be. So say the tax is 8% and everybody thinks it should be 10% because we need to be taking more money out of the economy because, say, we're seeing some inflation or whatever. You can vote on that and uh, vote on what that is. So two knobs. One is the, the, this, this tax rate that applies to every transaction. And the second one is how much money to print for everybody every day. Everybody votes on that directly. And it's made delightful and easy by the fact that, you know, it's aided with technology. So you can just bust out your smartphone, vote on what you think the numbers should be next, and we're off to the races. And as, as soon as you get a majority of people uh, making a vote, 
you, you pick the new number and, and automatically turn it on. So it, it feels like, it, it feels like, in my opinion, it feels like some of the best qualities of DAOs and blockchain, but applied in the right way, where it really allows a community to regulate, as we discussed, both its membership and then its monetary policy. Thanks for listening to Fair Share, a podcast conversation about the future of digital currency. To learn more about the project and join the Discord, visit fairshare.social, and you can listen to more episodes of this podcast at fairshare.substack.com.